Hello, this is Tim, the lead pastor of Mosaic Portland, and welcome to the Mosaic Portland podcast. We exist to follow Jesus in authentic community for the world. And right now we're gathering Sundays online uh, to worship together and to open up scripture together. And then after that, we have virtual house gatherings that meet all over our city. And the great thing about these is that you can actually join in wherever you're listening from. We think these right now are the best way to be known, to connect with others, uh, and to be on mission together. They're also where we pray together on Sundays in smaller communities, where we take communion together and debrief what the talk was about and engage scripture more. If you want to find out more information of how to be a part of one in this season, you can find out more info on our website, mosaicportland.org. Now let's go to scripture together as we listen to this podcast. Hi, Mosaic. Welcome to our first Sunday of Advent. I'm Becky Josperger, and I'm part of the teaching team here at Mosaic. Um, I also get to teach Hebrew and Old Testament at Multnomah Biblical Seminary. Um, People sometimes ask me, why do you love the Old Testament so much? And this morning, I get to share glimpses of that with you. Um, The Old Testament essentially tells the same messages that the New Testament does. And those messages never get old. Saying that, though, I have to confess that for me, having grown up in the church, while they don't get old, sometimes they get really familiar. And I can know the message, but not feel it or understand its majesty or impact. And reading the same message over and over again in the Old Testament and seeing how it relates and is filled out and lived out in the New Testament, uh, it just it it just invigorates me. It it helps me take what I know. This whole story of Advent that we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks and celebrating in our homes, and it moves it from intellectual, like Jesus came, Jesus answered the problems of the world. Our only hope is in him. And it moves it for me into my heart, into a relational peace. So I'm hoping that I'm able to help walk you through that today. And I'm going to do that with two passages from Isaiah um, that are probably the most familiar to you from Isaiah And I think that's one of the reasons that I enjoy them so much because I used to not like them. I would read the whole book and be like, oh, those are the trendy ones. I just said that on a recording, but it's true. Those are the trendy ones. I want all the meat ones. And now that I understand them in their context, they're not just trendy and exciting. I understand why they're the passages that we New Testament believers run to when we're um, expressing or celebrating our hope. The first one, uh, let me just give you a survey real quick. The first one is going to be talking about... um, the, the solution to the world's problems, the darkness that Israel is facing as um, the solution being light. 
with all that that entails. We'll talk about that more in just a second. And the second one, Isaiah is going to use a different illustration to give the same message. The people are in the same spot. They need to hear the same thing. And that message uh, is given to us using the illustration of a highway. Now, light and way sounds so New Testamenty. That's great, but um, kind of jump from that high, lofty, academic. Here we are to like candle or flash light or electricity or even in 2020 the light at the end of the tunnel. Any of those will work. And then when we get to the highway one, I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. So we're going to start with Isaiah nine. That's the first passage we're going to look at now. As I read it to you, you're going to hear passages that are incredibly familiar. Some of you will start singing in your head because there are songs that are related to those passages. But I'm going to read, I'm going to back up from Isaiah 9 and read just a little bit of the context into which it is given. And I'm going to then read just a verse or two beyond to show you that even though Isaiah has given this beautiful message of hope, he's given the message in a very, very dark and bleak time. And as the people are looking forward to what God is offering them as his promise, they're still stuck in this... mm, Well, let me just say, it makes 2020 look like nothing, okay? Um, I'm just going to give you just the the verses ahead are so strong that they just, they give the context for you. In verse 21 of verse uh, chapter 8, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. He's talking about the fact that Israel and Judah are going to be conquered and carried off into captivity, and they're not going to be anymore. Okay? And in the midst of that, the conquering will bring pain. Everything that Deuteronomy promised would come that's really bad, and you read verses and verses of it, and it's awful, is about to happen to them because they have disobeyed God. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. And here, just acknowledge for a minute that darkness is a metaphor for everything. Um, Bleak, death, pain, agony. um, And I think in many ways right now, in 2020 is one of the easiest times I've ever had as a teacher getting people to sort of relate to that feeling. I mean, we're not quite as extreme as this, but we live in a world where the evidence of um, everything just being outside of our control is really obvious. We, as believers, we believe that The world was created perfect and beautiful by this creator who had a plan for all of it. But just like Israel, we decided, meh, we think we can handle it ourselves. And we're living in the result of that. It doesn't look very pretty when we look around, whether it's pandemics or politics or whether or not you should wear a mask or all of these these pieces. So utter darkness Chapter 9, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. 
In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. That just means Israel. He humbled Israel. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. In the middle of this darkness, this light brings joy. The you here is God. As people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoicing when dividing the plunder, like they're victors now. That's the image. You're dividing up the plunder. You won. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Like we're going to even do away with any remnant that there ever was distressed. That's how hopeful and comforting this light is. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now, these are the words we sing with oh, reckless abandon. Even me, who really doesn't sing well <laughs> at Christmas time during Advent, just to celebrate who God is. But they have concrete meaning in their setting because God has promised the nation of Israel, uh, specifically to David, they know of this promise, and later in the prophets, that not only will their line go on forever, eternal, I mean, just, yeah, go everywhere you want to go with that, but that the one who's coming to do that will be a perfect king. There are places it talks about, he'll, he, you know, he's not going to uh, impose terrible taxes on the people. He's not going to rule viciously. He's not going to, I mean, just everything that we struggle with on a day-to-day -day level, this righteous king will fix. He will reign on David's throne. This is the king we're talking about. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a beautiful passage. Uh, the next verse reminds Israel that they're not there yet. They've got to go through some things first. The Lord has sent a message against Jacob. It will fall on Israel. And later you'll see that he talks about um, the fact that he will, his anger isn't even finished being burned against them. So in the midst of this very bleak time, the prophet gives Israel a message that we cling to because we, on this side, looking back, can see like a child is born. We know that story. We know that story. He came. He was here. He lived. He was the Messiah. This happened. Um, but in that setting, they're looking forward, and everything feels pretty bleak and out of control, and it's going to get worse for them. They're going to go into exile. The next passage, I know that doesn't seem like a closure, but it's not yet. The next passage in Isaiah 40, Isaiah gives the people the same message 
Kind of like in the next four weeks of Advent, if you're listening carefully, you will hear the same message told over and over again in different ways in the scripture. Isaiah does the same thing, same message in the midst of this bleakness and darkness that's just gonna get worse and is horrific. God has an answer and he hasn't forgotten you and he's gonna show up and take care of you. Isaiah 40 uses though a different imagery. Instead of the light, which is, it almost goes without saying. Um, instead of the light, he's gonna talk about a highway, a road, okay? And he's using the road to tell Israel something important, something we already know, something I wanna tell you, but I want you to see it first, ready? The setting is the same. The verses right before that, Isaiah is telling King Hezekiah, Disaster's coming. Like I said, makes 2020 pale. I'll read it just so you see it. It says, uh, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come while everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day. Uh, that's the temple and the palace, like David and Solomon's wealth, all of this will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your own descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. His own flesh and blood are future kings. They're the Davidic line, the one that's supposed to come and restore us all. This is going to be just absolutely devastating. And when we get to the very next verse, there's so much contrast. In fact, there's so much contrast that some people argue it's not even written by the same person. It's just impactful. But the contrast is important because what it's doing is it's telling us that God's looking down at the anguish. The author is actually writing like from a future perspective as if the anguish has already happened to Israel and saying, I have an answer. I, God, <laughs> have an answer to this anguish. And in other places in scripture, I just, for those of you who aren't as familiar, I want to point out that he often, the author and God himself, often go down and give little answers to this, this, this hope. He'll say like, well, I'll destroy you, but not completely. Uh, I'll restore you, but I'll bring you back to myself. I'll scatter you, but I'll collect you and bring you in and raise you back up. Um, those are really neat promises. That's part of God's plan. Here, though, he skips all of those promises and runs right to the source. He says, comfort, comfort my people. Why? Because they're destroyed and they need comfort. They're walking in that darkness we talked about earlier. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, that her hard service has been completed. Now, this is a little hard for us because when we're reading through the scriptures, this comes out of nowhere. But again, it's acting as if the exile and punishment has already happened. They're at their lowest of lows. And he says, okay, your sin is taken care of. It's done. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Now we're going to see highway imagery. And who's going to walk on that highway? 
God. Hold on, you'll feel it in a minute. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will be level and the rugged places a plain. So what he's saying is that God's going to come and the earth that God made will know it's him. And they're going to do astounding things. Now, I believe this is the same kind of thing that's going on with the light imagery. There wasn't a light in the stable. It was an illustration of who Jesus was in the manger when he came. I believe that this is also symbolic, that the mountains, they could do it actually, who cares, are literally just going to go, oh, it's God. Get ready, make a road, flatten. And then the valleys are going to rise up to meet them because we want something level. And rocks are just going to skitter right out of the way. Why are they going to do that? Because their creator is coming. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, for us who are familiar with the season of Advent we know that what we're celebrating is that God came down to earth and that that is our hope. The broader picture that this fills out in Isaiah for me is the image of you're in your deepest, darkest hour. It doesn't get worse than the exile. You're in your darkest hour. And here's the comfort I'm going to bring when you're at your lowest. All the promises... We're going to set those aside for a minute. Here's my answer. I'm going to come down there and fix it. I'm going to be the comfort. I'm not going to offer you comfort. It'll be okay. Don't worry. I'll restore you later. No, no. I'm going to be the comfort. It's like when, I don't know if you experienced this, but when I was a child and if I was old enough to stay home when I was sick um, without my parents because they had to work and man, I would just long for the minute when my mom would walk through the door and come to my room and I would just feel better. I mean, forget medicine, forget anything. They were home and they were there and she'd just walk in the door and I would feel better because what I want more than anything is her presence and that's what God says, I'm ultimately the solution. The promises, that's just the plans for how I'm going to do it. But I myself, showing up, am your comfort. I'll, I'll be right there. On this side of Isaiah, we know that that happens uh, in the form of the baby in the manger, And we celebrate that. This is why Christians love Christmas. Like God said, I'm coming and he came and he showed up and he's going to fix everything. Now, we're also living with another promise like the people then. We're living with another promise and he says, I'm coming back. (laughs) I'm coming back. And that darkness of the world that we still experience, he says, I got it. I got it. I'll fix it. I got it. In fact, I'll keep walking with you now, but I'm going to make it beautiful someday. So we still have that same comfort. The comfort of Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 40 are the same comfort in the midst of darkness. God sends a message that it will be light. 
and he sends a message that that light is coming because he himself, the creator of the universe, will humble himself and come down and just be with us. He'll fix it. He'll take care of it. He's got it. What that speaks of his love and his power and his majesty and his intimacy is just mind-blowing. I want to close by asking you two questions. First question I want to ask is, in this time of kind of darkness, and I'm not meaning to equate us with the exile, but right now, this year, I don't know about you, but I'm struggling. How are you experiencing God's comfort? Uh, I'll give you an example of what it looks like for me. I woke up last week and one of my children had a fever. (laughs) On a normal year, who cares? (laughs) This year, it's like the bottom fell out from under me. Okay, we got to, you know what I went through because you're walking it. How sick are they? Who do I have to tell? Can I go anywhere? Do I have to quarantine? How do I get a test? And it's just a fever, (laughs) but... I didn't cope well with it. Everything felt rattled. And I literally had to get to a point where I was like, Lord, you have got this. Help me to just stay steady and remember that there are so many pieces outside of my control that my, well, I was going to talk about my response, but my response doesn't matter. You've got this. You're with me and you're going to come back and there won't be fevers and pandemics anymore. I got this. How are you experiencing God's comfort in this time? And the second question is, how are you sharing God's comfort with others? Uh, For me, I think there's two ways to answer that question. One of them is simply by telling them that there, other people, that there is comfort. Like Christmas is the best time of year to explain to other people why Christians are nuts. (laughs) We're celebrating, and we're celebrating something we can't put into words, and we can't stop talking about. God showed up to be with us and fix it. Awesome. Sometimes it's hard to share that message or maybe, I don't know if this is 100% true, but maybe it's not even the right place or time. There are other ways that you share comfort with others. You can share comfort by emulating his comfort. You know, he showed up, show up for somebody. Be stable for somebody when they're struggling. Let them kind of fall apart and be their support. So, Again, as we walk toward this Advent season, which I hope for you is full of so much celebration, don't be afraid when it's difficult as well. And I want you to reflect, especially this week, on those two questions. How am I experiencing God's comfort? And how am I sharing that with others?